0: Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a brand new interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash thedirectorscut. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Mike Mills' new film, 20th Century Women. Loosely based on his own childhood, Mr. Mills' film tells the story of Dorothea, a single mother raising her adolescent son in Santa Barbara, California, during the height of the Cultural Revolution in 1979. To help steer him through the chaos, Dorothea calls on the help of a punk photographer, a mellow handyman, and her son's best friend to serve as role models. In addition to 20th Century Women, Mr. Mills' credits include the feature films Beginners and Thumbsucker, the documentary Does Your Soul Have a Cold, and the short films Paperboys, Architecture of Reassurance, and Deformer. After a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Mills sat down with fellow director Mark Webb to discuss the making of 20th Century Women. Their conversation touched on Mr. Mill's technique of interviewing his actors as if they were the characters in the film, how dance parties the morning before rehearsal inspired the film's ending, and how he drew inspiration for 20th-century women from the observational style filmmaking of directors Alain René and Federico Fellini.
1: Hello. We're very close. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> We're... I like you. But Hello. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, thank you for coming. This is uh, really amazing. I have been a Mike Mills fan for, for a, a long, long time. <clears throat> if you don't have the internet or have never been to Silver Lake, he is a kind of a leading uh, – uh, you're a graphic designer first, then he did many, many music videos, which I – Uh, studied and watched and, and loved. And then, uh, he started making movies a few years ago. And, uh, uh, it's been a really impressive, impressive career. Um, I Q and A's are always a little bit weird. So what I did. Wow. Cards. Well, yeah, I know. I want to be prepared. Yeah. But I thought maybe I could just, uh, I, 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 this is a very quotable movie. Mm. And so I went and watched it and I, I took out some quotes that I liked. Uh huh. Uh, and, I thought maybe you could you could comment, uh-huh. free associate. Okay, tell me uh, you where yeah. you could rap. You could Should do, I do beatbox rap. while you
2: do this part. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. Uh, that would be impressive. Okay, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll try to read it in verse. I'm not good <laughs> at it, uh, but um, uh, yeah, tell me like what what where you came up with it on the day, how you executed it, uh-huh. or, or anything that 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 okay. it provokes for you. Yeah, yeah. Don't you need a man to raise a man? No, I don't think so.
2: Um, Well, well first of all, thanks everyone for coming to see the movie and for staying for this. And thank you so much, Mark. It's really sweet of you to do this. Um, uh, That was actually, we reshot that scene. We added some stuff onto that scene to make it actually stronger. I was afraid what I wrote before is very similar, but just a little less thematic, a little less expositional in a way. And I was really happy to get that line in, and that, that's something I added, and that's something that made me want to reshoot that scene. And um, I just wanted to make that point stronger, and the movie is based on my real mom, and my real mom uh, was like a feminist before the word. would never describe herself as a feminist, but did want to be a pilot in World War II and just never fit into a typical feminine box. And, it's, and she loves men, and it's nothing against men. It's just she's an incredibly practical woman. And for this boy, for this son, that's what's true. He's attracted to these two women. These two women are, are what's powerful. But I really liked her having the strength and the no shame, no holds barred, saying, like, I don't think so. I think you know, this so is going to work. So that
1: particular line was not the no, I don't think so was
2: not in there. The Don't you need a man to raise a man? The, okay. Like, I had ideas I like got in, in the original go through but it just felt like too like that's just over the top you know you know that's too much that's Uh too stating the theme and but then in retrospect that scene needed to be sharper to carry itself through the rest of the movie to Uh like sort of announce the movie Uh uh-huh yeah and did you and that's that's not that's (laughs) what
1: five ten minutes into the movie it's a or more yeah more yeah yeah. Yeah. and and so you're getting a chance to know the characters before that what other what are the reshoot that's really interesting oh
2: well, that's a secret okay <laughs> i think if there's if you ever feel if there's well, the, a personal scene, yeah part of that scene is what it exists the part on the beach and and but then that part in the kitchen i just added some stuff to it to beef it to heighten it
1: right because that was it seemed like the same scene it was so beautifully merged because they begin the conversation on the beach or yeah. I, did you was it a pre-lap or was that a
2: no so that that beach scene uh-huh. had that whole scene in it uh-huh and I also did it in the kitchen. I see. And then I redid it with more in the kitchen. Uh huh. But that beach scene had a whole lot of dialogue in it. But I was, I was like, I wasn't positive if that was the right way to go. So I covered the the dialogue in two different places.
1: Uh huh. Ah, oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, it felt. Very, I, I only noticed this time around. This is the third time I've seen it, and where I that 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 it seemed the the idea seems so. Uh, I mean, that scene seems so smooth. Yeah, I didn't realize it was kind of set up in two different scenes until yeah. the, this time. Um, it's about strength uh, yeah. and your dur- durability against the other emotions,
2: and durability against the other emotions. So that's something that L says under the under mm-hmm. the in the creek. Um, so that's interesting. So L, part of the homework I gave her as a director was read the road less traveled. I don't know if anyone's ever read that, but it's like a very seminal classic '70s sort of self help theory ther- therapy book. And I said, pick a couple things and be able to paraphrase it to me, you know? Be able to tell me it in Julie's words, what this book is saying. And at any moment, I'm going to say to you, tell it to Jamie on camera, you know? And the thing, what she says about love, also about love isn't a real thing. It's a feeling that you feel like you're falling in love, but that's a mistake and no one should ever get married. So that's Elle improvising, not improvising, but in her own words, restating what she learned from the book, you know? And similarly, that is a combination of what she learned from the book. And uh, as part of my process, I I don't always do this and it sounds a little heavy-handed, but in the rehearsal process, I'll at times if it feels like doable, I'll interview Elle Fanning as Julie. Mm-hmm. And I'll ask Julie questions and, and Elle will respond as Julie and just and just sort of play. And it's not like a that sounds so actory. But it's actually really interesting and fun. And so Elle had this whole thing about how Julie doesn't want to feel sensitive or doesn't want to feel vulnerable at any time. Mm-hmm. And that's um, her deal. And we worked that out a little bit. And I love Mike Lee and Mike Lee's mm-hmm. process, which is a very you know extended version of what I'm doing a little bit. And um, she came up with that thing, or she just started saying that, about strength is the most important thing. It's not about knowing what you feel. It's not about being sensitive. It's about avoiding those feelings. What do you want to be? Uh, happy or have all your feelings. That's what she said. She did not say in the movie, but she said that. So when we were in the creek and we had shot all our stuff out and we had a little time left, I just, and actually the camera was leaving and I was like, stop. And the camera plopped down and it kind of was like right that view. And that rock was right there. And I I just had him sit on the rock and start to just chat and try different things. And I asked her to do that.
1: So there was a Improvisation, you were. It was the screenplay was very alive. Then it sounds like, like you, wh- wh- where it began and where it ended, required. It seems like a lot of input from the other actors. I mean, you had a murderer's row of like actresses. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, incredible.
2: Yeah, well, that, I mean, it's very much to the script, but then I also like finding moments like that, mm-hmm. and, and and funnily, you pick two moments that are sort of like off piste a little bit, but I I think it brings it to life if you can have a slightly heterogeneous approach. Sometimes it's just totally the page, sometimes you tell them one line to do different every single take, sometimes you like Mm -hmm. this thing in the creek where it's like just do it in your own words and it's something that we researched and tell me about that again. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. This is my favorite one. (coughs) (coughs) We're connected to the dirt because we came from the dirt. The dirt is made of stars and stardust the same way we are so when you put your hands into the dirt and feel the earth mother.
2: Okay, you picked all the improvising parts. It's interesting. <laughs> so that's Billy improvising. And that's um, part of the research again. So I do two weeks of rehearsal and we do lots. Of, we don't do the script a lot. We do like a scene a day. And I figure out things that lead up to that scene, like all the experiences of these characters that led up to that scene. And we do improvising and just different ways to make it be felt and experiential. So Billy did lots of. Uh, cl- um, ceramics classes Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I remember once me and me and Greta and Lucas were downstairs in my office Billy the actor Billy yeah Yeah. Billy Crudup is doing Uh mm, ceramics upstairs in the kitchen pounding away at clay and downstairs me and Greta and Lucas are dancing and uh, he got really into this researching clay and ceramics and the whole deal and what it is and it's he's actually quoting from some book that he read as part of his um, uh, research alone. I didn't give him the book. And um, that again, that's another moment. It's a really similar moment where we got ahead a little bit and I was just being ambitious. Mm-hmm. And they I wanted to sort of see those two together before they're going to have their mm-hmm. sexual moment together. And they did some things that I set up really quickly and then they did some things they just kind of extended from there.
1: Uh, it, it brings up... But like, uh, Slightly non-sequitur, but I'm thinking you brought up Mike Lee and his process. How have you evolved or what have you learned between
2: Thumbsucker uh-huh. and this movie? Did you do that with Thumbsucker Thumb as well? I did, and I loved it. And I had Tilda Swinton and Vincent D'Onofrio on that movie, and they loved that. Yeah. Like They were so down for that and so great at it, and we all discovered so many things together. That was really interesting. And I've, I've taken different acting classes, like from Greta Seacat or Joan Sheckle, and you do a lot of that kind of stuff. You're making it experiential and not sort of in your head. And I respond to that a lot. And I feel like as a director relating to actors, it's such of course you need to be able to, to articulate anything. And as a writer-director, I'm very happy to articulate anything. I love articulating or talking about the history or sort of the more rational side of it. But then to get to the good scuff, you got to dip into the irrational side and the sort of more magical, intuitive side. And that's really key, I find. Yeah. Yeah. The
1: um, well, I'm going to go to the next one. You don't ask people questions like that. I she. One of the confounding and really fun things about movies is this person who wants deeply to connect to somebody, but is so unwilling to share themselves, Uh and it's this real tragic uh, intersection. uh, I'm, I'm answering my own. <laughs> I'm having my own free association, but uh, uh, tell me about that. You don't ask people questions like that. Well, that's my and mom. She jokes it off, or she 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 yeah know, makes a joke of it. Yeah.
2: But so that scene, that's all scripted. So that whole scene, that's a scene in the kitchen, and she and she says, uh, asking if you're happy is a great shortcut to being depressed and all that. So that's all just from the script, and that was like shot day one. I think of mm-hmm. our shoot. I shoot in order again to sort of do everything I can to enable the actors to have, like, a real experience. Um, and that's very much my mom. My mom was born in 25, and she, that generation of people, you don't ask them about their inner lives. Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of a 70s kid, and my first girlfriend's mother was a therapist, and we did teen group therapy together and beat a wooden stump with a rolled-up magazine. You know, so, like, <laughs> I'm, I've been exposed to that, right? And I'm trying to find out more about my mom, because me and my mom were very interwoven and very close and very kicking around alone a lot you know uh and that was like our main struggle in life and that was sort of like one of the cruxes of this story
1: how how do you
2: um shooting in order is a a,
1: it's a, a very difficult thing to get what do you have to sacrifice in order to do that i mean the production concerns are are enormous and everybody kind of presumes that you're going to go in and shoot out of order Mm -hmm. and they kind of scoff at the idea often I find uh to do uh to shoot something in order how did you achieve that
2: well uh, my AD Rod Smith is pretty genius and this is our second film together but we've done lots of ads together and he knows that I'm into this way and not only am I shooting in order as much as I can. It's not everything's in order, obviously. But like that house, we shot for three weeks in the house at the beginning. We shot pretty much in page order. And um, the other thing I do is I use a lot of natural light. So for instance, in that house, weeks before, you know, months before, when we're in prep, as soon as we have the house, we do light studies. So every room, looking in every direction, take a picture about every 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Then we make this big book that shows like every angle at every time. Mm -hmm. And then me and the DP kind of pick like, oh, this scene, we're nowhere in this room. would be great to be here at this mm-hmm. time. And somehow Rod makes it work. I really don't understand quite how he makes it work. And it's really, I, it's all him to make that actually pull that off. But the other the other ingredient is I use very little lighting. I use a few keynos, you know, yeah. and the rest of the units are just built into the ceiling or practicals. That's so a room sort of like a Gordon Willis style, like you write for the light for the room, not for the face. And... Once you spend a day or two getting set up, you're kind of done, mm-hmm. and th- and the units are sort of sitting there. And except for put laying down Dolly track, which we laid so much down on this movie, mm-hmm. you can just you can move around pretty easily.
1: Yeah. There, there,
2: there is a Mike Mills aesthetic. I certainly you,
1: that you I, I can you can look at the videos that you made for Air or for Pond or for uh, back to your the the album artwork that you did. Uh, what is that <laughs> how would you define that and how do you maintain it in a movie i don't know exactly what you're what it is that you're talking about well i can, i can get specific but i'm more interested in what you think it is
2: uh it's my it's me i guess it's like uh yeah i don't know like specifically I mean, what you're talking about i mean
1: you're photographing things and the compositions are very graphic mmm uh, very rarely are you ever using handheld cameras. Mm-hmm. You use a lot of natural lighting. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, I mean, in Thumbsucker, there was more like the pans, mm-hmm. you know, And but there's that, it's a very austere way of making a movie, mm-hmm. graphic, mm-hmm. Uh, aesthetically speaking.
2: And very like European, so like I went to art school, didn't go to film school. In art school, when they have the Friday night film class, what do they show? They show Resnés, Fellini, mm-hmm. Truffaut, they show all that, and that's what left a huge imprint on me. And Fellini has a huge imprint to me on this mm-hmm. film, like Amicord and Eight and a Half. So, that style of filmmaking is more observational <laughs> and sort of rigid, and sort of um, uh, the camera's trying to be rigorous. There's a certain set of rules that you follow through the oh. whole thing. Um, and what are those rules? Well, it, it, it varies per film. Like on my last film, Beginners, everything in the past with Christopher. Uh, Plummer and Ewan McGregor was lock off or very static um, uh-huh. tracking shot. Because, like memories, you can't really look around inside your memories. Yeah. You have one view that you kind of tend to repeat, you uh-huh. know? And then the present part of that story with Melanie Laurent and Ewan McGregor was handheld and no marks and lights only in the ceiling. So you could do 360 wherever uh-huh. room you're in. This film, it was much more like just move the camera at all times because I have a lot of pieces. This film was made out of so many little bits. So many separate units, um, camera movement is going to be part of what glues it together and keeps it as as one flow. And to be, you know, it's not like the camera movement isn't like very fast, but for me, it's a much more immersive style actually than I think anything I'd done before in Mm -hmm. a way. There's more. yeah, there's more to sort of come with me, follow me into the scene.
1: Well, the fire truck scene at the very beginning, they're mm-hmm. sitting on, there, you know, you're pushing in on her side and mm-hmm. there's this, are, in, are you pushing during the entire take on the wide shot and then on his side, he wasn't, there was no push. Yeah,
2: there's no push on his side. On her, It's just for her lines, not on the I whole see. thing. So it's uh-huh. just towards the end, we push in. Uh-huh. Yeah. I see. That to me, it's like, um, like um, the war is over by Rosnay's. Mm-hmm the tracking in that movie is so specific and beautiful and graceful and like elegant and like thought out. And me and Sean Porter thought about that a lot. And Fellini's tracking stuff, <coughs> it's so interesting and complex and it's not preconceived. So often when you lay track, you, you think like the shot's this mm-hmm. and, the, and therefore I'm laying track to achieve this. Mm-hmm. You can tell Fellini blocked the scene with the actors and then conceived of the tracking mm-hmm. shot because often it's going on both sides of the mm-hmm. track or he'll do a weird compound thing so you can tell he came up with the blocking first and then found a way to right. like cinematize it. So we were trying to do that a bit and thought about Resnays a lot. And yeah, then I, so I did do a lot of work as a graphic designer and I do, I do love the sort of, and Gordon Willis's work. Like, yeah. like all, I just watched all the Presence Men on the airplane mm-hmm. and like this, that is an incredibly rigorously framed movie. Yeah. Every frame is just like a perfect piece of art. Uh, and Gordon Willis is probably the biggest, has the biggest influence on me of anything. Like mm. just the, that he makes movies for the edit, you know, mm-hmm. and that, um, again, that sort of, I don't know, the tension to the composition as being so much of the storytelling.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, The editing process,
1: it, it, it's a, there's so many scenes in the movies, in, in this movie, and so many details and so many moments of her reacting to something that happened in a scene where she's alone and there's time cuts within scenes it's it's incredibly complex you can't have conceived of that or
2: process that beforehand could you 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 must have some of it a lot of it i did and i like thinking like that it's hard for me to think in normal time Mm -hmm. normal time is what screws me up Mm -hmm. but thinking like interlacing three things that's easy yeah uh or going back and forth. That's easy. Um, just sticking with it is I find that to be such a construct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Linear time in filmmaking, I find to be that's the craziest construct everyone ever invented. <laughs> Cause like our real time in our head, our like emotional time is like really, really different, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so um, I wrote a lot of like the there's um when he's reading to her, it hurts to be alive and obsolete. Uh, the Zoe Moss essay—it's about being middle-aged woman, and it's kind of a montage. Where you see a bunch of different things. It's all pretty much scripted out, and the order maybe changed a little bit. But it's—it's um, it's easy for me to think like that as a writer. Um, and some other things we did flop around or find a little play, um, but it'd be a certain set of shots that I planned out. A lot of times when I'm writing, I'll do do a dialogue, and on the left side is like whatever narration going on. On the right side, it just says visuals. Yeah. And numbered set of visuals uh-huh. that go with that scene. So,
1: you know, the screenplay format doesn't really fit that.
2: Yeah, or the speed that I know I'm going to go at. If I laid it out all normally, it would yeah. take like three pages, and it would be um, it would be deceiving yeah. of how it's going to play.
1: It's funny, like it, when you do shorter form work, I think you get really used to not working in the screen more storyboards, more visual cues to help you do that. I think that that must have informed the process for you.
2: Yeah. I guess so uh, I just did it on this movie because the last movie had a little bit of that like these little lyrical essay moments and I did them more normally and the, and it just I had to explain to everybody like oh you're reading it, and it's taking like a page but it's gonna be like 30 seconds I yeah, promise you yeah. and um, so so that was this constant translation I was doing so when I was started to write this film I was like I gotta find a different way How,
1: so th- what a great th- so in in order to communicate to your crew and your production staff, How you do, uh, how you're going to do that? Did the the screenplay itself look different? It looked like it was split in half, and you just in
2: just in those like uh, narrated parts, uh and where you see a lot of things flying by. Uh So there, I did the dual dialogue thing, right? And uh, and it scared the hell out of everybody because it's like, how do you organize that? You know, like how (laughs) did that? What does that really mean? And a lot of it wasn't just like. like all the found footage, all the historical stills, they're easy to indicate like that. Mm-hmm. And people can understand that. But when it's like a live action scene with your yeah. key actors, they're like, what? You know, yeah. it's like, right. it's just half a sentence over there. And mm-hmm. and any smart AD is like, what does that mean? Um, yeah. yeah. Right. So it was a lot of like vetting. are assuming scripts. you're going to shoot 360 degrees. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, there's yeah. going
1: to be 18 extras and yeah, they exactly. have to like put yeah. a car through the window. Yeah. 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 Um, th- so the lyrical essays, I mean, the music, you know, the score, there's a lot of needle drops, obviously, mm-hmm. but the score seemed to, to align, or seemed to indicate these essays more mm-hmm. often than not. I mean, was there was there a um,
2: was there a rule to you using that music, the score? I mean, the original score stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the original score it's not always when there's a like a narrated sequence obviously when there is a narrated sequence it really helps hold all the pieces together and yeah. and a built and a film built of so many sort of heterogeneous pieces really benefits from a bed to put it in and to tell you this is one section yeah. you know so it was obviously really helpful um and i wanted you know again for me as i feel like i'm revealing how waspy i really am for me I was trying to make like an immersive movie and I get that it's not for everybody but it's like I was trying to yeah. be a little lush in a way and uh so that's why to me there's like an ample amount of, of original score in the movie and we realized like oh we had this DJ song by David Bowie and we had the talking head stuff and Brian Eno is the producer of all this music and Brian Eno is so influential in the 70s and his electronic music and we kept listening to that and his instrumentation, is Selena, these really specific synthesizers, and Roger Neal, my um, the composer that I work with, he's really sensitive to that and gets how that impacts everything. So weirdly, our score is completely period correct. Yeah, it's it's, like
1: I, it's, fun, it's interesting because I I thought it seemed uh, from a different era, but it is all that Eno stuff was. Uh, the, it was the
2: beginning of that kind of yeah atmospheric, and I feel like it sounds so. To me, at least, it sounds so relevant—the uh, mm-hmm. Eno stuff. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like a, and and in lots of ways, I was trying to make a film about '79 that related to now, or wasn't stuck in some sort of, kitsch nostalgia, ghetto, mm-hmm. you know. And so Eno was a great way. And the Talking Heads—I feel like the Talking Heads are so relevant and influential, and their music it's so clear what
1: side you were on in that. Yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, all right, I got I got another one apropos of that yeah they've got they've got all this feeling and they don't have any skill and they don't want skill because it's really interesting
2: what happens when your passion is bigger than the tools you have to deal with it yeah so that's really interesting so that okay so just so you know that's a reshoot scene too and that is Greta Gerwig talking to Annette Benning about the raincoats mm-hmm. which is a great all-woman band from 79 and that yeah. song came out in 79 and um There's a really amazing Grail Marcus um, sort of essay, short essay about the raincoats and it's called The Process of Punk. And he's kind of saying basically that. So I sort of paraphrase that down to the key moments and give it to Greta. And it's both talking about the raincoats, but it's also talking about what's gonna threaten Dorothea later in the story. Sort of like raw emotion, raw feeling. And um, things that are out of your control and that's why they're good. Be, is because they're out of control. So it was a really great, I was very happy to align this analysis or look at punk with a look at the emotional differences or the different kind of cultural, historical, emotional people in my film through through the sort of punk lens. Yeah. You uh, brought up Greta Seacat earlier, who
1: I, I know as well and I've worked uh-huh. with a little bit. Tell me what you learned from
2: that process so Greta, um, does anybody know Greta Seacat, or have you ever done her classes? She t- does acting classes in in New York, and she's really great and really hard ass person, right? Like she's not yeah. gonna let you fake anything or get away with it. So I took a class just as an actor, you know. And she makes. When did you do this? Like long time ago, before way thumb before Thumbsucker. Thumb okay. Yeah, and so like early two thousand and. Um, Just to scare myself to be more emotional. How did you hear about it? Where did like? Uh, From Chris, from um, the Coppolas. Uh I were friends with her, so from a director friend, who used her, and um, she's just. I wanted to understand what it was like to act more because I understood that my movies are going to be very performance centric, and it'd be who of me to understand it better. And to not do like a director, you know, there's lots of like director workshops where you work with actors as a director. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want to be an actor and I want to see what it's like and just, just try it. It It's like two weeks, you know, and (laughs) it's scary as hell and great for that reason. And I'm like a formerly very shy person. And so I always feel very enamored with actors and their ability to be unselfconscious. And like, I'm like their first great fan on set, you know, and it just made me all the more so like all the more admiring of the imaginative deep trick that they're it's not a trick at all it's very authentic what they're able to do mm-hmm. what
1: what were um what were you afraid of in this when movie you, when before you set out to make the movie
2: oh so it's a you know it's it's based on my mom and the Greta character is based on a lot on my sister and the L is based on these women i knew and the Jamie character's he's not imitating me but he's doing things i did so being like doing being sentimental being unconsciously sentimental or well,
1: let me ask, what is that that word comes up a lot um what is that what is sentimental it's what does that
2: mean to you oh uh, in a case like this would be like you know unconsciously asking the audience to feel pity for you <laughs> or to or feel for you or to um um, have a too romantic version of these people in your life because they were your mom or your sister or whatever, or to not understand that you weren't being penetrating enough, or to um, you know do a memoir. And I wanted to. There's so many directors, writer directors, have used personal life to make a more catching film for public and for public consumption, and just to make a better movie. And from Sasbo to Truffaut to Fellini to so many people that I admire. Um, I feel like I've always wanted to be like them then these crazy events happened in my life that sort of showed me that like my dad came out of the closet when he was 75 so like then there came beginners and then in that movie I saw my mom and how strange my mom was how un- mm-hmm. unlike other moms my mom was and her whole philosophy and so that that felt like I had the best chance to tell a good story to everyone to report on human life from a unique perspective but the goal is to tell a story not to like do therapy in public yeah yeah
1: it wasn't a it, it never felt like a tribute i mean it felt pretty tough Was has to be hard when you're dealing with people that have been close to you in that
2: way it helps when they've been passed away for a long time <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and you've had a lot of therapy uh-huh. and 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 i do i i feel confident that i made the movies with love so i don't feel like i'm That helps, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, My previous movie about my dad, my dad was quite grandiose and would love to have a movie made about him with Christopher Plummer making him, you know? My dad would love to see a movie with an elderly gay man, you know? My mom's a more secretive creature, and it was more of a... It was a harder thing in my head to allow myself to do. Why is it... um I want to talk more
1: about the character, not necessarily your mother, but wh- why is it so hard for people to reveal themselves in that way? Why was it so hard for her?
2: Um, if anybody, if you know anybody from the 20s who's born in the 20s, it's just culturally not cool. <laughs> it's not how they're grown up, brought up, and they don't have language for it, and it's kind of shameful, mm-hmm. especially to bring up anything you don't feel great about or feel vulnerable about or have conflict about. It definitely just wasn't in their Family education and their culture. It's just, that wasn't how you do it. Like Humphrey Bogart does not talk <laughs> about his feelings. And um, my mom is basically Humphrey Bogart, yeah, you know? Right. And um, so, yeah, you're not going to get Humphrey to admit that he's sad.
1: And th- but Thumbsucker had a similar theme with mm-hmm. Lou Taylor Pucci's character, uh, you know, and Kelly Garner trying to push him to be open in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a way that I like, boy, when I was that age, I wouldn't have the capacity, the vocabulary, the maybe even the interest to be that open, but it's a, a theme. I, I don't know, was that in beginners as well? Not as much.
2: Yeah. Um, it's in there, but it's not quite as expressed in the same way, mm-hmm. and the dad is sort of, the dad's coming out has exploded this closeness that previously uh-huh. was there, uh-huh. and in. Uh, infuses the story, but it's not what the story is about. Yeah. They're sort of like after the explosion of all that not talking about stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. I got some more quotes here.
1: Uh, I'm going to skip that one. Uh, I think history has been tough on men. That's a intense statement to have in a movie about women. That's uh-huh. really brave.
2: <laughs> well, if you're born in 25... And you love people like Humphrey Bogart, and it's 1979. From her perspective, I feel like, and she loves men, and so she's like, if you're, if you, and if you love people like Humphrey Bogart, as my real mom did, and as his character does, that kind of version of a man just kind of can't exist in 79. It's like culturally obsolete, but they haven't figured out where they're going next. You know, that's what she continued to say, and that um, felt very like m- the, you know. The film isn't all about my mom, but my mom is the North Pole of that character. Yeah. So if she said something that aligned with her, my mom's true perspective, I always felt like I'm on to something, and that this felt like something my mom would have said.
1: How did you court Annette Bening? How did you interact with her? How did you get her to do
2: the movie? How did you uh, collaborate with her? Yeah, well, and that was just the best thing that happened. Luckily, she disliked the script, so it's just like that was there and. Um, we had this great dinner, and I was really excited that she um, she she's a mom of four kids. She's had a really complex motherhood, you know, and she was in an interested way poking around about Dorothea. Why'd she do this? If she does that, why'd she do that? she's she's kind of wrapping her head around her contradictions because there's a lot of contradictions to that character. And from a mother's perspective and a woman's perspective, and that excited me a lot because I felt like, oh, this isn't just an actor talking to me. This is a, a woman, a middle aged woman who's, um, I've I've gotten under her skin a little bit, you know, my script has, in a good way, and just got her curiosity and her she, she was kicking the tires pretty hard, and that to me was a great sign. That to me meant like we're engaged and it's and it's gonna it's gonna get into your blood system, and that's what I hope for uh, most. And she liked it, and that was such a huge compliment to me and. There's probably writer directors here. Like, you're. So, I don't care who you are. You're so insecure when you're sending your script out in the world, and on your. It's not an easy thing, and to have someone that who's done such amazing work and worked with so many amazing directors to have to like it was like a huge, you know, gust of wind in my sails. Um, and then, you know, the main thing to her, and she got it immediately, was you know, just because this has a personal source, is we can't treat it preciously. It's your character now. You know, of course, I'm here to help as much as I can, but it's it's your deal now. Like, you, um, mm, you, you need to know about her as much as I do, you know? So I was doing everything I could to sort of empower and give it to her. And she was great. Like, she wanted to hear all about my mom, and she loved hearing stories just to pick up little details. But it was always, like, as a by any means necessary method. It'd be like, if it helps... There's something that, like, feeds you great. If not, move on, don't worry. And then they're both Geminis, so they're perfect <laughs> for each other. Like, they, Geminis really are like that. They're, like, kind of secretive. You don't know what they're going to do next. And if you look at all of Annette's work, she's really got this, like, rebellious streak to her. And she's a very strong woman, and she has this, like I always say, like, she's, like, deliciously, attractively noncompliant you know she's not gonna do what you say tell her to do mm-hmm. you know and and that's exactly what this character is all about you know so that way it felt really good and she was interesting in rehearsal i have this long rehearsal process how, how long is the rehearsal process two weeks and you know like every day for two weeks that feels long after oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah and she isn't going to show you a lot and when we're improvising that's cool and you're but you're not like fully the character when you're improvising. You're sort of experimenting and playing and all that. And 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 that's fine with me. My my idea of rehearsal isn't to nail the character, but to enrich in what's going to happen in a minute when you're shooting, you know. Um, but it was a little spooky because I was like, well, well and I haven't seen any Dorothea for like the first week. I haven't seen any Dorothea, mm-hmm. you know. And she just kind of smiles. And she's like, it's okay, you know. Okay. I was like, well, that's that's a lot like my mom. Okay, that seems right, you know. Okay. And um, it was like that, uh-huh. yeah. That, um, uh, uh, incredible. Uh, and then she's just so good, too. Once you get rolling, you you just know, like, okay, wow, this is someone that's working on oh, such yeah. a high level of uh life-iness. <laughs> like a high level of nuance and every surprising the other actors with different takes and are just following the flow. If something falls off a table, she just goes with it, you know? Yeah. And she's hunting for the thing that's going to make each take specific in its own, Uh you know, not not a construction. She's looking for, like, what makes it real. And that's my favorite kind of acting at all. Were you rehearsing in the location? We did for, like, a day or two. Yeah. And we had these dance parties every morning because music's such a part of the movie. Yeah. And then dancing's such a great way to get to know other people. Mm -hmm. And we danced all the different kind of music that's in the film. And we went into that house, and we danced, and we... Danced to Glenn Miller and they danced all around that house oh. and it was really beautiful and they started like dancing with each other in different groupings and chaining partners and that watching that made me go oh that's what they should do in the hotel room at the end mm-hmm. to that point they were just going to watch tv in the end in my yeah. script and seeing that I was like oh that's like a physicalization yeah. of their connection which is not going to stay forever this moment of grace connection thing that's going to dissipate
1: she must have been familiar i I was thinking about this annette must have been familiar with that era i mean that was her era in the 70s i mean she
2: she was greta's age ish yeah yeah she was like 21 ish and she is a californian she grew up in san diego Mm -hmm. so she could really relate and she she had some william boyfriends you Mm -hmm. know (laughs) so so and greta too greta's from sacramento went to new york to go to school and it would be nothing more scary for Greta than to move back to Sacramento. Yeah. You know? So she could really relate to that. And then Elle, too. you know, Elle's such a pretty, blonde, gorgeous, mm-hmm. shining person. She has a lot of intensity and depth and other stuff going on. But we all tend to write off very pretty women as yeah. sort of like these little objects. And, and Elle was really gravitated towards the character from the first time we talked about it. And, I, and when I first met her, I was like, but Al, you're so happy. <laughs> you're so together. How can you play this person who's got so much other stuff going on? She's like, I'll, I'll just figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of, she had such confidence about it. I was like, okay. And um, as soon as we started rehearsing, I was like, wow, okay. I didn't know how right you really were for this.
1: Yeah. yeah. The scene in the car where she's, you know, playing the therapist uh, and, um, you know, talking about compartmentalizing, uh, mm-hmm. compartmentalizing. There's this moment where she like puts on a adult face, mm-hmm. an adult mask. It's really incredible. There's so many reactions of the actors in this movie that just feel so incredibly specific. Um, and really, I mean, you can't conduct that. It, must, it has to emerge from some place.
2: Yeah, you can't. You can't over direct it mm-hmm. at all. You. That's why the rehearsal thing is so important to me. You're feeding. You're giving them as much information to feedback on and trying to make it as experiential as it can so they've mm-hmm. felt a lot by the time you first turn the camera on mm-hmm. you know and they've explored a lot so that even if stuff's wrong that's fine that's great you're understanding it's wrong or mm-hmm. there's something about the wrongness that actually helps you understand what's mm-hmm. right about the character and then when you're shooting I, I, I try to make my direction as minimal as i can yeah. and there's a lot of directing that goes on but Mm, i never tell anyone to do anything you know like i try to just remind someone of where they're going or what they felt before or Mm -hmm. or just tempo things um especially actors like that they're so on fire with each other you know if anything you're just trying to like like get them to get them to bounce off each other more yeah how do
1: you work in something like that when you're there's so much improvisation. You have two sides, and you want to keep a track of like the tiny little details of the performance, and somebody's reacting to one. And
2: well, it's there's not really that much improvisation like that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think like eighty percent of the movie is straight up off the script, yeah. and then there's another ten percent where there's a scene. that's like a like that car scene you just talked about. That's mm-hmm. all just the script. There's nothing. Right, yeah. You know, maybe in the edit we took out a couple lines. Yeah, sure. But mm-hmm. it's uh, but then there's scenes like the the, the menstruation dinner party. So that's mostly scripted. Bringing
1: the men back into menstruation.
2: <laughs> that's yeah. mostly scripted. Greta added a couple of things, and Billy added something based on what he heard from Greta. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, and we get going, we do like five takes, and be like, okay, now this line right here, just say something different every take. Mm-hmm. And just, so that really, if it, has, if it has to be different every take, it turns everyone back on, because no one knows what they're going to say. Yeah. Both the listener and the person who's speaking, mm-hmm. and the whole table, so it's a great way to like get everyone's attention again, and if you have to keep inventing, the person's really thinking, you know, and that that just camera loves that, yeah. you know. So, so yeah.
1: What do you think um, the uh, is the biggest misunderstanding uh, or misconception people have about directing a movie?
2: That's funny. That's interesting. Who like people don't work in the film industry? You mean? Uh, sure. (laughs) Well, I find, okay, I know a lot of people work, two two answers. One, I know a lot of people work in the industry that think, like, your shoot days are hard. Or, like, when you're actually shooting, your 35 days are shooting, whatever. That's the hard part. That's the fun part. That's, like, when I'm most healthy, most happy, most in love, most everything. I adore it as, like, a gift from heaven. And it's the easiest part of my whole life. Mm-hmm. those 35 days, and what sucks is in the five years it took to make those films, there's only those 35 <laughs> days. That's some bad math, you know. That uh, um, I don't know, that's an interesting question. Th- here's something I find fascinating about it that I l- feel very honored about or something, or it's kind of magical thing that involves history, is that it's a role, it's not just you as the individual. You are fulfilling. It's like being the president of the United States. It's like, it's a role that all these other amazing people have done and then kind of handed down to you. And when I every day on set, I wear a suit and a tie Mm -hmm. to kind of honor the tradition that you know I'm a part of. And uh, I find that, and it's so hierarchical, right? It's crazily the the a film set is crazily hierarchical, and people put so much weird faith into you. and I find that just, just, kind of this incredible thing that's like very human, faith based community that happens, you know, on set. That's um, uh, again not you didn't earn it when you on day one. You maybe earn it on day five or whatever, mm-hmm. but and that's such an honor that people just put you there, yeah. you know. Um, and that's a trip I find. Uh,
1: All right. Excellent. I think we are good. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody, for sticking around. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike.
2: Thank you so much for coming.
0: Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. Check out past episodes of the podcast by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts or on our website at dga.org slash podcast. We'll have a lot more episodes coming your way over the next several weeks, so stay tuned. If you haven't already, please subscribe to The Director's Cut on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or our SoundCloud page, so you won't miss an episode. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.